Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Jeff Baumgartner, Senior Editor at Light Reading. I'm Phil Harvey. I am also an editor at Light Reading. And I'm Bill McFarland. I'm the CTO at Plume. Hey, Bill. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining the uh, the podcast. Uh, glad you're able to be here with uh, with me and Phil. And, uh, you know, today I think... I think we're going to talk a little bit about the IoT market, right? Kind of in general, and then specifically about uh, brand loyalty trends. You know that uh, that Plume is seeing. You know, uh, you know, just through the the data, you know, that you have access to, and uh, you know, the company recently put out a report. I think it's called Plume IQ. That uh, you know, at a high level, you know, found that uh, Amazon has you know the most brand loyalty among IOT connected devices and, uh, and that the, uh, the brand, like the loyalty in those connected devices in the U S is almost double what you saw in Europe uh, and so forth. But we, you know, we definitely wanted to dig in, you know, to all those findings, but, you know, before we kind of get into that, uh, Bill, I was wondering if we can kind of have you maybe set the table a little bit and talk about the, the basis, you know, of the plume, IQ report, which I think has been used to, I think you guys have been providing all different kinds of insights and trends about, you know, kind of what's going on, you know, in IoT and the home network. So maybe to start off, just expand on that a bit and also touch on the, maybe the methodology that's being used to kind of uncover, you know, the indicators that you're seeing in the market. Right. So Plume IQ is kind of like a newsletter and I think anybody can sign up for it. It's free. And what we try to do, it comes out once a month. What we try to do is to include some uh, useful and interesting uh, information that comes from the data that we're able to see based on the Wi-Fi networks that we manage in people's homes. Plume sells directly off its website to consumers, but even more so, uh, we have partnerships with different service providers, companies like Comcast, Charter Spectrum, Vodafone, Liberty Global, and uh, we operate Wi-Fi networks in those service providers' customers' homes. We operate in uh, more than 40 million homes right now. We're managing the Wi-Fi in more than 40 million homes, and we can gather a, a variety of insights from looking at what's going on in those homes. And in particular, we use kind of sophisticated artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms to do what we call device typing. When a Wi-Fi uh, device connects to the network in the home, we try to figure out what kind of device it is. It's not as easy as it might sound because there isn't a protocol or a standard message that they send saying what kind of device they are. You have to look at the way they're behaving, uh, the protocols that they're using and so forth and then compare that to other devices you've seen of that type, and you kind of do a matching. And so we do that, and so one of the kinds of data that we have in our system is a tremendous amount of data about what kinds of devices people have out there. When we talk about the kind of device, there's three main aspects that we look at it for, one of which was what device category it's in. Is it a phone? Is it a laptop? Is it a, a speaker? We look at the brand, so is that a device that has, you know, comes from the brand Apple or the brand uh, uh, you know, Samsung or whatnot? Um, and then finally, we can actually go all the way down to greater detail, such as the specific model 
and even the operating system that it's running. And so we use that information in this particular Plume IQ. This is the Plume IQ just recently from the month of June. Uh, we use that to try to understand, you know, how dedicated in a certain sense are people to different brands and is that dedication kind of correlated? So say they're really big fans of Apple phones, does that make them also fans of other uh, IoT devices from Apple? Or are they more agnostic about uh, what brand they use for their IoT devices? So this is kind of the core of the study that we did in June uh, that I think is kind of the subject of our discussion here. Right. And uh, yeah, Amazon was pretty high up on the list there, you know, in terms of what you could find. And, you know, one thing kind of off the bat was, uh, you know, what, from the, what the data kind of told you, I mean, what kind of any sense on why Amazon kind of leapt so high up on the kind of the brand loyalty measure? You know, I mean, they obviously have a pretty massive retail reach and, you know, just the sheer availability, you know, those products. But, uh, you know, I was wondering if you had some opinions on that, you know, kind of based on the data that you guys saw. Yeah, I have so a I guess. Think, uh, well, <laughs> Here's you do. my guess. Your guess. All yeah, right. so they bought the uh, routing company Aero, E-E-R-O, and those guys were starting to catch fire right when they right when Amazon bought them. So if you if you count the actual Wi-Fi router as a device, as an as an IoT device, I think that's like those things are um, they they don't make you buy. They're like a, what do you call it? Um, uh, um, where you have to buy the, you have to buy a mesh, so you, you buy three at a time, <laughs> and so every every Arrow customer has three of them, not one. That's anyway. That was that, that was my guess. Does that drum up to the brand loyalty? Does that fit in there, Bill? Well, that, uh, um, so so we can tell some things for sure based on the data that we have. So some of the things we saw is that Amazon does have a number of IoT devices that are very popular on their own. So there's the Alexa voice assistants. Those are quite common in people's homes. Uh, they've done a great job with kind of the ring family of security products and doorbells and so forth. And then included in this is also like the Amazon Fire Sticks, you know, these various types of set-top devices that connect into networks. I think those are the major drivers uh, in terms of the kinds of devices they're selling. Eero is a, is a nice product as well, but I think that the, in terms of the numbers, these other products are much more dominant. The other factor that we found that was quite interesting is that Amazon IoT products are quite broadly attractive to consumers independent of the rest of their ecosystem. So interestingly, one of the things we saw, for example, is that if a home has a lot of Apple phones in it, and they're clearly kind of Apple fans from the phone side, then they're very likely to buy Apple IoT devices. But if they don't have Apple phones, they almost never buy Apple IoT devices. Oh. And on the other hand, for Amazon, it was much more uniform. Homes that had a lot of Apple phones, homes that had a lot of Samsung phones, homes that had uh, a lot of Google, like Pixel phones. In all of these cases, Amazon was quite popular for IoT devices, and it was pretty uniform across all of those ecosystems. So I think the other thing that Amazon has going for it is that it's considered kind of ecosystem neutral, and people from all the different ecosystems are interested in their products. I've, I completely forgot that they owned Ring. 
Uh, I, I, I forget about those doorbell companies. We've had, we have a ring doorbell. I didn't even, I, I thought it was Google owned and I, and I went, Oh no, that's nest. That's the other one. They're, they're, they're the ones that, that, that have mm-hmm. that. But yeah, every, everybody on my block has a ring. Uh, that's right. So yeah. That, and and when we uh, do the brand analysis here, you know, we do it in multiple tiers. In this case, we rolled all that stuff together. So if there's a sub brand, you know, ring is clearly really Amazon, it's owned by Amazon and so forth. You were right about, uh, you know, like Nest is kind of part of Google and whatever. We rolled all that up. So this is kind of the master brand up at the top. Yeah. That's interesting that they've had such success in permeating the uh, the home, kind of almost no matter what the dominant. Because you're right, I, I, I do find it's. I'm an Apple consumer. We have we have mostly Apple stuff here at home. It's hard to buy anything but Apple because it just fits in so easily with all your other stuff. And so once you go down that path, I tell people like you, you once you're in the cult, it's hard to leave. But uh, but. Uh, but I can also imagine the, you know, the, 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 the flip side of that, if you just get to choose, if you just sort of choose whatever, Amazon has a, a either incredibly price competitive or technology competitive uh, device in almost every category of IoT device. That's true. And as, as, as was mentioned before, you know, they have a great distribution channel as well, right? Every time I go on Amazon, there's all these splash ads on there for all their IoT devices. So it's funny because, you know, before even doing this study, to be honest with you, I typically don't think of Amazon really as a hardware company, but man, mm-hmm. they are moving a lot of hardware. Right. Why? Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I thought it was so interesting in terms of how, you know, what smartphone you use, the, plays a part in determining what the makeup of your IoT device ecosystem is. And for the longest time, I was I had an Android phone and the IoT devices in my own house is a hodgepodge. You know, I've got an August lock, I've got a like a you know, so like a Google speaker, I've got an Amazon speaker, I've got uh, I had Samiros in the house, you know, it was just all sorts of stuff. But then I I I bit the bullet and finally said, all right, I'm going to do the iPhone thing. So I guess going forward, I'll have to see how. Do you feel smarter yeah. now? You feel yeah, like, I do. I, like you. Well, you know, yeah, okay. I feel like uh, I, I'm like, I'm like one of the, the iPhone guys that has like a weird hodgepodge right now, but I just wonder if that's going to continue, you know, is it, do I, do I jump full in with the cult, you know, from this point on the yeah. next time I have to make an IOT device. I'll invite you to the next meeting. Yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is there a handshake or a location or right. something? Yeah, you got to tell me where, well, it all, where it's all at. One yeah. of the the interesting things, I, I guess, for for the you know for for our uh, readership and listenership, you know, who are service providers, this also kind of speaks to a problem that they've had for the longest time, which is consumers just keep adding more and more uh, random devices to their home. And when something doesn't connect properly, they blame the service provider that the broadband, you know, is out or, or that the Wi-Fi is not behaving well or, you know, or whatever. So I, I, I'm, I'm fully in favor of as much intelligence as service providers can muster at the point of, you know, bandwidth distribution. You know, it, it actually is a great thing that they know what all those devices are because they can pinpoint, you know, where those problems are a little more exactly whereas before it was just i don't know i guess i'll call at&t everything seems to be not working 
Yeah, I, I, I have a great sympathy for the service providers. There's no doubt that they get blamed for everything. I have to I have to tell this story, which is actually a little bit embarrassing. My daughter, who uh, is actually just getting done with college, um, she actually uh, did not realize there was something other than Wi-Fi in the path to the Internet. I mean, the whole fact <laughs> that there's broadband and something else, she actually didn't know that. I was stunned when that came out one day. Um, and so, you know, I mean, uh, it, there's no doubt that service providers these days are on the hook for the Wi-Fi part of the link as well as the broadband and that they will be, you know, kind of really held accountable if they don't put up a, a really high quality Wi-Fi system and that that it has become very challenging. There's a huge range of devices in the home that all have very different needs and, you know, keeping all that stuff running well and connected well is a is a, a very difficult problem. And so, and, you know, it is kind of what Plume is focused on is, is helping service providers be able to do this. Well, Bill, when you when you learned that, was that like the moment when you you broke out like the the Texas Instruments uh, 1400 uh, baud, you know, dial up modem to kind of say, this is how we did it in my day. <laughs> Listen yeah. to this sound. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I do whenever the kids uh, complain about this, that, or the other. I'm like, hey, man, this is what I used to have to use, and this was the Internet. And and that, that doesn't seem to matter to them. But I like to do it anyway. It makes me feel good. So Okay. Well, luckily <laughs> nobody can see my picture. I'm really quite old. Believe it or not, I started with punch cards. I actually really do oh. go back that far. All right. Well, you got me on that one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump into that part of the conversation. Um, yeah. but, but I do, I do have more, more questions about, you know, what, what does that date, you know, what else does the kind of data that you're able of collecting, um, you know, enable a service provider to do? I, I think that's an important part of this. It's not just, you know, we're not just, uh, uh, we're all not just fodder for for the plume newsletter <laughs> there's actually a, a, a bigger point to this this kind of data collection so so like how does it help them to either make better decisions or sort of you know cut down on the you know the cost of their broadband delivery yeah so one thing is that we use that device typing information operationally so when we operate the wi-fi network in your home we actually do different things for different kinds of devices. An example is device steering. You might have multiple access points in your home and we're kind of pushing the devices around between them to get them connected to the one that's gonna work the best for them. Also steering them between frequency bands, should it be connecting on 2.4 gigahertz right now or five gigahertz or now even six gigahertz with Wi-Fi 6E. That process of deciding where they will work best and how to get them there it turns out that that's quite different depending on the specific device. An example is Apple iPhone devices. If you push them around too much, if you force them to move around too often, they actually kind of get irritated and they drop off the network and connect on the cellular connection, which of course is not desirable for anybody. And so these different devices require different treatment as part of the correct Wi-Fi networking operation. And so that's one of the reasons that we do this device typing and one of the reasons that it's particularly valuable. I think also for service providers, 
you know, getting to know their customer better and what they need. Some of them are bundling, you know, they may be offering, oh, you know, sign up for this and you can get this kind of device for free and so forth, knowing what's popular, knowing what's coming. I think that's valuable. They also can use it to understand more about the kinds of loads that their network are going to be facing. So along with collecting what brand and type of devices there are, we're monitoring how much data is moving in these devices. They can see, hey, this is a device category that's growing very fast, say uh, virtual reality. And they can see how much data virtual reality devices are actually taking. And they can use that to kind of predict forward about what uh, requirements on their network are going to be going forward. Yeah, and kind of with that, I mean, what, I mean, kind of curious what you think the the role of service providers should be, you know, on the home network, right? Because it feels like the the strategies and approaches of one company is a little bit different than the other in terms of the amount of uh, data and control, you know, they have of the platform, you know, like one operator like Comcast with XFi is very uh, involved, very tied in. Uh, and then another telco, you know, might not have a platform approach and might just steer people to their customers to products like, Hey, you know, you, you want an IOT device, you know, here, we're going to point you in this direction, but they don't, but that's kind of where it starts and stops. You know, it feels like there, there's kind of this wide range of, uh, of approaches. Um, you know, I guess, yeah, I, I imagine you think the service provider should have as much control as possible. But, uh, you know, what's kind of the temperature right now among the service providers on, on that side of it? Are they, they kind of coming around and saying, hey, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why we should, you know, ha- have a, a more active role there? So, so I think that boundary is constantly moving. You know, if you look back quite a few years ago, Wi-Fi was something that consumers bought at the retail store. And the service providers didn't have much to do with it. That's completely flipped now. You know, very few people are buying Wi-Fi gear at retail. Almost all the Wi-Fi gear comes from the service provider and goes in. So they've taken that over. And I think that makes a lot of sense because, you know, again, really providing quality of service all the way out to the end device makes a lot of sense. Having a holistic, uh, you know, service provision that monitors and can maintain all of that makes sense. Now, uh, when we talk about more consumer-oriented services, you know, what about a home security system? What about uh, cybersecurity, some of these other features? What we see is that service providers are moving more and more in that direction. And I think a fair amount of it, honestly, is that they are looking for something to replace portions of their traditional triple play, quad play, uh, business model, right? Because a whole bunch of those services, you know, a landline phones, really not yeah. uh, where you want to be these days, right? And so they're uh, working hard uh, to bring other services that they can offer. And this is another area where Plume is trying to help them, along with Wi-Fi management, you know, which we've been talking about, uh, and device typing and so forth. We provide to our customers the ability to roll out cybersecurity services to their customers that look for viruses and malware and so forth. We roll, we have our offering in um, parental controls so you can monitor screen time and limit you know the kinds of content that your kids can see. We even have Wi-Fi motion detection. This is the ability to use Wi-Fi signals in the home to tell if a human being is walking around. That can be used as a home security alarm system 
Or as a wellness monitoring system, I can check and see if my elderly parents have gotten up and moved around today or not. And so these additional services are quite attractive to the service providers. They both can provide additional revenue, uh, but they also can provide a stronger connection and a greater loyalty and reduce churn, which is very expensive as well. So we see service providers who are selling them as separate subscriptions, trying to make extra money on it. But we also see others who are giving it away and betting on the fact that that will make their customer base much stickier. Uh, so I think there's a, you know, a, a variety of reasons, and I think service providers will and should continue to push that line, and uh, you know, we'll just see how it evolves over time. Right, yeah, because yeah, I'll go ahead, Phil. Go. I was just gonna say that Wi-Fi um, person detection thing, that, that just to clarify, that's not, with a, that's not with a camera, that's solely based on how the radio waves are moving about, and that sort of thing? That's exactly right. It's, it's really kind of a very cool technology. When uh, Wi-Fi signals are sent out from one place to another, they bounce all around the room. And uh, the Wi-Fi system, to, in order to just be able to receive this correctly, it has to kind of straighten back out that bouncing around. And therefore, it's really easy for it to monitor whether the bouncing around is changing over time. And if it's changing over time, something's moving. And if it's changing quite significantly, that something that's moving is kind of big, like a big bag of salt water. <laughs> In my case, about a 150-pound bag of salt water. And so that's kind of how it fi figures out, you know, whether something's moving or not. It has some nice advantages, as you're saying. You know, it feels much more private than a camera. And it is, it is really. Like, I actually really, I think I would not ever put a camera inside of my home. I can see having one pointed outside, but... You know, it's just too, uh, there's a risk there, right? Having a camera inside your home. Um, and uh, it uses hardware that you're going to have anyway. You're going to have a Wi-Fi access point, so you don't have to pay for any extra hardware. This is a pure software upgrade uh, onto existing hardware platforms. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can, it, it integrates kind of nicely. You know, a lot of the services that it brings and the, and the things that it provides fit in nicely with the idea of networking. So it's just kind of a natural pair of things that go together. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, especially because the, uh, you know, the, uh, the cameras, if you have like a motion sensor set to a camera, you know, it just, it goes off with, with, uh, with any motion, uh, you know, you know, at all. So it's mm -hmm. almost, it's all, it's almost too far in the other direction. Uh, I can't count the number of times a, a gecko crawling across our doorbell has, has tripped off, you know, that someone's at the front door, that sort of thing. And, uh, but yeah, but radio signals, it seems like you can, you could fairly quickly, you know, to tell what's a, what's a, what's a human and what's not. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are some aspects that are tricky. People with large pets, you know, a big dog. Um, <laughs> and we use a variety of tricks to distinguish that, you know, you, you actually use not only properties of, you know, the, the size of the signal disturbance and, and so forth. But you use some other things, you know, how fast it's moving and, and so forth to try to distinguish. Um, so it can do quite well on that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of other things that can happen. Uh, changing in the lighting conditions, uh, trees blowing outside of the home and so forth that sometimes set off, as you're saying, these types of motion detection-based systems that are optically based. Um, mm -hmm those problems do not affect this technology at all. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Well, because we've had to be even careful at our house because we have cats and uh, to the point where at least inside the house, we 
uh, turn them off for the most part because, you know, we don't want things going off in the middle of the night, you know, when they're scurrying about doing whatever they do at night, you know, uh, opening up the fridge and, you know, cats. Yeah, know. right. <laughs> Inviting all their friends over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the stuff that happens while we're asleep. Yeah, uh, yeah no kidding. Uh, uh, that's interesting. So, yeah, but I, I like the idea, though, of, of giving – uh, service providers kind of a, a, a broader menu of services to to sort of decide how they want to push to consumers because that's that's kind of I guess the next step is like figuring out you know where uh, you know some of these things I think are are much better in the network you know things like motion detection and things like uh, you know cybersecurity I'd rather just have that in the network than have to go around and install software on every device in my home and you know update it all and manage it all. And suddenly I'm the IT guy again. Um, yeah, totally. You know, and it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, particularly, you know, we, we kind of started talking about IOT devices, particularly for IOT devices, you know, you, most IOT devices, you cannot get aftermarket uh, antivirus software for that. You know, like you could install that on your computer. There's some for phones, but you know, you're not going to get that for your doorbell. Um, and so uh, just putting it in the network itself and protecting all the devices in the home, anything that's on Wi-Fi automatically, that's a great convenience for the consumer. Yeah, and I think it's important to be able to have that capability now because the, the broadband market in general is becoming much more saturated. You know, the, the, the subscriber growth is starting to slow down. So it's like, hey, you know, in addition to the other revenue streams like we talked about, is like, hey, how else can you make the product generally more valuable so that once you get them, it's like, it makes it so much tougher when, when your whole house and everything that's inside of it, that's connected is all tied in. And then, you know, the idea of having to switch to a provider and trying to figure out how to reconnect all that again. I mean, that, that, that seems pretty daunting. Hey, Bill, I have a question about, uh, you know, so we talked about Amazon quite, quite extensively and, and a little bit about Apple in terms of like the, the tendencies of people, uh, you know, what kind of uh, other devices they had, depending on what kind of smartphone family they are, so to speak. Um, I'm very curious about uh, devices like Sonos because I've been building out my my speaker collection, you know, and they're sort of scattered all over the place and stuff like that. And I quite enjoy the system, uh, but I'm trying to. Uh, I'm very curious if any if, if this is uh, an, you know perhaps an old man thing or do people still buy Sonos speakers and so I'm very curious as to whether they showed up in any part of the trend or whether yeah, Sonos is quite significant. I mean they're the seventeenth hmm. most popular brand in the IoT space, hmm. uh, which doesn't sound all that high. But remember our IoT category is pretty broad; it includes things like televisions yeah. and includes whatever. So. You know, and they and they have a product line which is a, which is a great product line. I have some in my house too, but it's pretty specific. You know, it's speakers. You know, that's what they do. Um, it's just one thing, yeah. And, and a lot of these other brands have a whole variety of things. You know, you look at mm-hmm. Samsung or whatever. I mean, like they, they, you know, they make refrigerators that are Wi-Fi connected. They make, uh, they make you know all kinds of IoT devices, laptops. televisions, and so yeah. forth. So. Uh, you know, that's pretty good. And, and, and you know, Sam's uh, Sonos devices uh, constituted about 1.3% of uh, all these IoT devices. You know, if you take the whole pool of IoT devices everywhere in all homes, Sam, uh, Sam, uh, Sonos branded uh, devices are about 1.3%. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's noticeable. It was a curiosity to me because they, they've kind of so many music services have pushed into high definition audio 
which which necessitates a Wi-Fi connection to the speaker. And I don't know how you have yours set up or whatever, but it's like, you know, they kind of, the, you know, the different music services and radio services and stuff can vary wildly depending on, you know, how, how they're connected, if they use Bluetooth or if they go straight through Wi-Fi. And I just thought, wow, you know, I wonder, like, if I'm sitting there listening to music for two or three hours with high, you know, high definition audio on multiple speakers, is that, you know, is that chewing up a lot of bandwidth or is that just magic and it doesn't really you know, make, make that much of a difference. It's, it's medium. I would say, you know, high resolution audio is a noticeable load on the network, but it's not anything near like video. So, uh, when you look at, uh, you know, like what's really loading the network heavily, it's really dominated by video these days. Obviously it can be dominated over a short period of time by doing some kind of heavy duty data work. I'm going to upload a whole bunch of photos or download a whole bunch of photos um, maybe I have some large files that I'm using at work and I'm going to move those files up and down. Maybe uh, there's a backup of a disk drive happening or something up to the cloud. So you can get some substantial flows for some period of time for that. But if you look at the total, like across an entire month, how many bytes did a home consume? It is quite dominated by video. And this is another thing that we have quite a lot of statistics on and things. One of the things that we can see with the data that we have. Yeah. I was curious if, uh, you know, when uh, when you t- connected car, right? We're talking about the home, though. Um, but, you know, when we talk to broadband operators, like, hey, the 10G future is coming, and what is that going to – what kind of applications or use cases are going to come out of it? And a lot of them like to talk about, like, hey, a very burstable moment, you know, when you have to make a, a massive upgrade, software upgrade, and they kind of throw like the connected car in there and say, well, you know, they're, they're going to require that sort of thing where maybe you want, you know, to just burst it into the car when it's in the uh, the garage, when it's within reach of the network, you know, and I didn't know, it's, uh, you know, if you, when you're looking at the data yet, I mean, is it even showing up yet? You know, that, that sort of thing, the connected we, car. We definitely see cars connected, and we do put them in the IoT category. Huh? Okay. <laughs> where, else, where else to put them? It's like a really yeah. large IoT device, you know, physically mm-hmm. speaking. Um, and so we do see that. Um, we do not, you know, at this time, there's still a relatively small percentage, and these updates aren't that common. So, there, you know, I couldn't characterize them as being a major load on the network mm-hmm. at this point. Um, but they're definitely, you know, we see those devices there. It's definitely happening. So it's at least at least it's showing up. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, indeed. Uh, uh, do you, you you about ready to wrap up, Jeff? It looks like we're cruising over the, uh, the, yeah. the half hour mark ish. Were there any other big yeah. burning questions? No, I thought that's kind of where we would uh, leave it. So yeah, Phil, thanks for for joining me here, and uh, Bill, thanks a lot for your uh, your time and insight. We really appreciate it. All right, thank you. This is very fun. Thanks, Bill. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.